Hello, and welcome to the Pages and Popcorn Podcast. The podcast where we, Jennifer and Kalia, two book nerds, talk about movies based on books as well as the original source material. Two warnings. This podcast uses barnyard language. Why limit ourselves to only nice words? Some things warrant not-so-nice words. Also, spoiler warning. We will be talking about the endings of both book and movie, so prepare yourself. Okay. Let's get into it. It's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast. Special guest. Kalia will edify. It's the Pages of Popcorns Podcast. Special guest. Burn Kalia gonna talk, so you better damn well listen. Welcome to this episode of Pages and Popcorn Podcast. I am so excited today to be doing one of my favorite books. Yes, spoiler, I love this book. I'm going to just jump right there at the end. Had never seen the movie before. So whatever, we'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to introduce my exciting co-host for the day. Today, I am joined by, joined today by, joined with, (laughs) today on the mic with me in Zoom is... Claudia. Hi, everybody. My name is Claudia Martinez. I'm a writer and you can find me online pretty much anywhere at by Claudia. And it's spelled C-L-A-U-D-Y-A. Claudia. And I actually, (laughs) quote unquote, they can't see my hands, but I'm going to do it, quote unquote, met you on the internet back when you were blogging and I was blogging. And your blog at the time was... It was called Unknown Mummy. I would actually get a lot of comments of uh, people calling it Unknown Mammy. And I would say, no, no, it's mommy, like south of the border, not the south. So... (laughs) Yes, I remember. I, I really enjoyed your blog back in the day. Back in the day. So anyways, yes, Claudia is here to talk to with me about like water for chocolate. So I'm very excited about that. But real quick, a couple announcements. As you know, we have a website at kmmamedia.com. You can find show notes, you can find links, you can find affiliate links. So you're like, wow, I don't have this book in my library and I need to please use my affiliate link. That would be awesome. Also, there's information there about patrons and all the perks that the patrons get. And of course, links to our social media. We would love likes and shares and reviews and all of those wonderful things that you can do. It doesn't take you very long to share us with the world and it definitely helps. So kmmamedia.com. And because we're we are a sister podcast and we have a brother podcast, although it's my husband's, so maybe not sister brother isn't the way to put it, but there's another podcast over there at kmmamedia.com that you should totally check out. It's Ghost Thropology. He now has 11, by the time this one comes out, I think 12, maybe even 13 episodes will be live and he talks about folklore. So that's exciting if you're interested. Uh, and if you're not, that's okay too, because you're here. So this is my podcast and we're going to talk about a book that was made into a movie. And here we go. Like Water for Chocolate, or Como Agua para Chocolate, is a novel by Mexican novelist and screenwriter Laura Esquivel. The novel uses magical realism. It follows the story of a young girl named Tita. She longs for her lover, Pedro, but she can never have him because, well, first off, her mother has this family tradition that the youngest daughter can't marry, but instead must take care of her, the mother, in her old age until she dies. And then there's this small other detail. Pedro's married to Tita's sister. Does this sound like a telenovela? Well, Maybe, maybe it does. Tina's only able to express herself when she cooks. So here we go. Like water for chocolate. And it was 
I didn't write the year down. It was 1985. No, it was published in 1989 is what I have. Oh, there you go. Yes. Okay. So late 80s, early 90s. Normally I do a book recap and then I do a movie be recap. But in this case, the movie is so close to the book that I'm going to do one recap and then we we'll, can talk about, I think, the six changes that they made. I mean, it, not very many changes. So here we go. Recap. The book is divided into 12 sections named after the month of the year, starting in January and ending in December. Each section begins with a Mexican recipe. The chapters connect each dish with an event in Tita's life. Tita de la Garza is the novel's main protagonist. She's 15 at the start of the story. She lives on a ranch near the Mexico-U.S. border with her mother, Mama Elena, and her older sister, Gertrudis and Rosora. Rosaura. Rosara. Rosa. Like Laura, but Rosaura. Ow. Rosara. Rosara. Okay, I'm going to try. And did I say Gertrudis right? You say it, yes. I said in Spanish. So in Spanish, it's Gertrudis, but you can say her. Hertrudis, Hertrudis. Oh, I, actually, Hertrudis is easier for me to say. Uh, then I won't think of, I won't accidentally say Goethe yeah. or something that's <laughs> completely a different book. Okay. Um, so her older sisters, Hertrudis and Rosuara, her father had died when she was a baby. Tita was raised more by the ranch's cook, Nacha, than her stern mother. Tita was even born in the kitchen. Tita loves the kitchen and Nacha and has a natural ability for cooking. Pedro is their neighbor with whom Pita falls in love at first sight, although the feeling is definitely mutual, and Pedro asks Mama Elena for Tita's hand in marriage. Unfortunately, Mama Elena forbids it, citing the De La Garza family tradition that the youngest daughter, in this case Tita, must remain unmarried and take care of her mother until the mother's death. She suggests that Pedro marry Tita's sister, Rosara. Pedro does this. He tells his dad that he's doing this in order to be closer to Tita. And well, I start to dislike him just a tiny bit, but I digress. In preparation for the wedding, Tita is forced to prepare the cake with Nacha. While preparing the cake, Tita is overcome with sadness and cries into the cake batter. At the wedding, everyone gets violently sick, vomiting everywhere. A lot of vomit. This is the thing where they, they cut it down a little bit in the movie. There was less vomit all over the bride's dress. But anyways, suspecting that Tita was behind the incident, Mama Elena punishes her. And after the wedding, Nacha is found dead with a picture of her fiancé. Tita's strong emotions become infused with her cooking, unintentionally affecting the people around her through her food. After one particularly rich meal of quail and rose petal sauce, flavored with Tita's erotic thoughts of Pedro, I mean, he did give her the flowers, so there was that, Hertutis becomes inflamed with lust, and after trying to cool off with a shower, but to no avail, she leaves the ranch, naked, by way of making a ravenous love to a revolutionary soldier on the back of a horse. Later, she ends up in a brothel and is subsequently disowned by her mother, but that's not the end of her story. Later, Pedro and Rosara have a son, Roberto. Tita helps deliver the baby, and this is where Dr. John meets her. Dr. John is very taken with Tita, and he starts to fall for her. Rosara is unable to nurse Roberto, so Tita brings Roberto to her breast in order to stop the baby from crying, and magically, Tita begins to produce breast milk. She's able to nurse the baby. This draws her and Pedro closer than ever. Rosaro and Pedro are forced to leave for San Antonio, Texas at the urging of Mama Elena, who suspects a relationship between Tita and Pedro. And then Roberto dies. This is super, super sad. Roberto basically dies because he can't get anything to eat because he's been taken away from Tita. 
Upon learning about the death of her nephew, who she cared for so much, Tita blames her mother, and her mother responds by hitting Tita across the face with a wooden spoon, breaking her nose. Tita is destroyed by this death of the nephew, and unwilling to cope with her mother's controlling ways, secludes herself in the dovecote until the sympathetic Dr. John soothes and comforts her. Mama Elena states that there's no place for lunatics like Tita on the ranch and warns her to be institutionalized. However, the doctor decides to take care of Tita at his home instead. So Tita develops a close relationship with Dr. Brown and his grandmother, who's actually dead, kind of a ghost grandma who's there. And uh, the grandma's kind of like a notch stand-in, and there's a lot of bonding that happens, and it's incredibly sweet. Tita eventually starts to recover. She's even planning to marry Dr. John, but her underlying feelings for Pedro do not waver. The ranch is attacked by soldiers, and Tita's mother is injured. Tita returns to the ranch to help care for her mother, who is still horribly cruel and sure that Tita is poisoning her. Another big change. In the movie, the ranch is attacked by soldiers, and Tita's mother is killed. Tita returns to the ranch to help bury her mother. Although there's a version of the movie where Tita returns to the ranch and cares for her mother, like I said, there's technically two versions of this movie. We'll get to that in a second. So, Tita still wants to marry John, finally, but her mother has died, basically, because she poisoned herself because she thought that Tita was poisoning her, or she was killed by bandits, depending on which iteration you're watching. But now Tita is free, and she can marry John and put her love for Pedro aside. Rosaro and Pedro have come back to the ranch, either because of the mother or right after the mother's death. Rosaro has complications from the birth of her daughter, Esperanza. She will not be able to have any more children. Tita is trying to not overly bond with this baby, so there's no breastfeeding this time, but she is horrified to hear that Rosara is planning on Esperanza having to take care of her in her old age and not being allowed to marry, continuing this family tradition, that tradition that Tita hates. But Mama Elena is dead, Tita is like, I'm free at least, and Pedro, 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 Pedro is so jealous of Dr. John. He does agree to Tita marrying Dr. John, he's not happy about it, and then, well, John goes away to get his aunt in preparation for the marriage, and Pedro jumps Tita, and they are so passionate with their love and their sex-making that magical light shows up, making others think that the ghost of Mama Elena is haunting the ranch. A month later, Tita is worried that she may be pregnant with Pedro's child. Her mother's ghost taunts her, telling her that she and the child are cursed. Her tourist is doing fine, by the way. She shows back up. She's married to that soldier, Captain Man. She's living her best life. She visits the ranch for a special holiday. She makes Pedro overhear about Tita's pregnancy because she's a little bit of a shit stirrer. And this causes Tito and Pedro to argue about whether they should run away together. And then Pedro gets drunk and he sings below Tita's window while she is arguing with Mama Elena's ghost. Just as she confirms that she isn't pregnant and frees herself of her mother's grasp once and for all, Mama Elena's ghost decides to get revenge and sets Pedro on fire. Well, so he's bedridden for a little while, and depending on if you're in the book or the movie, he's either going to maybe have scars or maybe not have scars. But either case, he is behaving like a child throwing a tantrum. He's all jealous and very annoying, actually. Meanwhile, Tita is preparing for John's return. She's hesitant to tell him she doesn't think she can marry him because she's no longer a virgin. Rosaura comes to the kitchen while Tita is cooking and argues with her over Tita's involvement with Rosaura's daughter Esperanza's life and the tradition of the youngest daughter remaining at home to care for the mother, etc., etc. Tita vows not to let it ruin her niece's life as it did hers. John and his deaf great-aunt come over and Tita tells them she cannot marry him. John seems to accept it because he's amazing. Although he asks her why, and she says that she hasn't been faithful. She's not a virgin. And John is awesome and says that he doesn't care about her virginity and he loves her for who? her. And if she'll have him, he'll still wants to marry her. And, and there you go. 
But Tita would rather help her husbands cheat on her for the rest of the next couple of decades than marry John. So even though she loves him, the big passionate love is for Pedro, Pedro alone. So the next chapter skips ahead 20 years. Here we are. Tita is preparing for Esperanza and John's sons, Alex's wedding to one another. Now that Rosaura has died from digestive problems, which are very graphic, Esperanza is free from the family tradition and Tita is happy. She has been mistress to Pedro for years with Rosaura's bitter acceptance as long as they were quiet about it. But now, well, now everyone is free. During the wedding, Pedro proposes to Tita, saying he does not want to die without making Tita his wife. Tita accepts, then everyone goes home or off to make love in the bushes because, again, they're all very, very, very enamored with Tita's food. And because she's all turned on, they're all turned on. So lots of of orgies in the field that night. But anyways, everyone has left. Tita and Pedro finally have the loud, guilt-free sex that they've always wanted to have. And they're able to shout their love to one another. And then Pedro dies as he climaxes. And Tita is overcome with sorrow and cold and begins to eat a box of candles. The candles are sparked by the heat of Pedro's memory. Matches. She eats a box of Yes, it is. It's candles in the book, but it's matches in the movie. It's matches. In Spanish, in the Spanish version, it's matches. In the in the book, it says matches, not candles. Now, see? It's the translation. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Which doesn't make sense because what happened was when John was in his thing, he was making matches and he was teaching her about magnesium and how it lights. And that's how he explained the whole thing. So I don't know why they said candles, but it's matches. You know, I really did bump on that because I remembered from reading this before. My memory was that she eats matches, but in the book, it's like candles, candles, candles. And I was like, I guess if that's what it says, but yeah. Okay. So darn you translator people you've messed it there's other messing up too i will tell you yeah okay so she's eating the matches the matches are sparked by the heat of all of her memories of pedro's it creates a spectacular fire it engulfs them both it eventually consumes the entire ranch the narrator of the story is the daughter of Esperanza, who's been nicknamed Tita after her great aunt. She describes how after the fire, the only thing that survived under the smoldering rubble of the ranch was Tita's cookbook, which contains all the recipes described in the preceding chapters. The end. Ta-da! I know this book was not written in English, right? Okay. So candles. Candles aside, I kind of now wonder what else I'm missing. But I thought, okay, I'm going to watch it. I get it on Prime. Or no, was it Prime? HBO? I don't remember. I think it was HBO. Okay. Okay. I have it going. It starts off and I'm like, well, they're all speaking English. That's weird. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, I do know. When you said there were two versions, I was like, what are you talking about? But I started watching it in English, too. And I was watching it with my kids who speak Spanish and my husband who does not. And I said, no, 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 we cannot watch this in in English. No. Because it and dubbed. No. No. Okay. And the dubbing is bad like it doesn't it sounds so wrong and i was like no 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 let me see if i can fix this so i i clicked over to no no whatever and having the english subtitles and i was like okay so now they're in spanish i can actually hear the actors and the actresses voices much better by the yes, way yes but now there's english subtitles did you watch it with the subtitles uh, so yes, the subtitles were on for my husband, but I have trained myself not to look at them because I get mad. I'll read the translations and then I find myself saying to my husband, that's not what they really said. What they really said was this. So I didn't watch them. <laughs> I didn't read them this time. Let me tell you, my daughter was in dual immersion for several years and we live in Fresno. I don't know. I know 
very little Spanish, but I know enough to like, <laughs> no, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. Oh my God. And then sometimes it was like, okay, the clearest example was when Dr. John is leaving to go get his aunt, right? He comes out to the porch and he says, goodbye. And then he gets in his buggy and drives away. The actor literally said one word. The subtitles say, goodbye. I'll see you in a few weeks. And I was like, he did not say that. Like, <laughs> yeah. what the hell? And then when I was researching, there's different cuts. The Spanish version has her coming home and caring for her mother. There's scenes of her caring for her mother after her injury. And uh, then her the mother dying. I saw. I saw but the that. version I saw did not have that. It literally looked like she fell off a cliff and then she's dead. And then Tita's there. Take. I mean, like, so there's other scenes that were, like, cut when they yeah, dubbed weird. them and changed. I know. I... Because in the version that I saw, the reason that she came home, that she went back to the ranch was because her mother was sick and she was going to care for her mother. And that's how she ended up back there. Otherwise, she would have just stayed living with John. Why go back to the ranch? But Anglified, Anglified, Englishified version, her mother is literally dead when she comes back and she's just there for the funeral Hmm. and to like go, you know, and then she goes through her mother's things and, and she finds the, you know, the the secret of the past and, and whatnot, but like, which I didn't touch on. I know we're going to talk about it, but uh, yeah. So yeah, there was a lot. And then, okay, this is the most egregious personally okay. during the time in the movie where a mama Elena is getting attacked. The subtitles say giggling. Huh. Nobody was giggling. The yeah, men who were attacking were yelling. They were laughing a little bit because they were evil men about to rape Chencha, but they were not giggling giggling and 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 because of how it happened like she gets picked up and then it's like giggling no no giggling and i'm like it makes it seem like she's playing fully yes oh my god it was so disturbing i had i mean this is awful but i went back and watched a second time just to make sure that i wasn't bringing my own weird baggage to it and i was like no man so um I didn't look up. I probably should have. Who, who's in charge of these subtitles? If they, if you can even find that, I don't know if they put that information yeah, out there. But I don't know. whoever you are, person, bad job, bad job, not okay. I yes, yes. And then to go further back, like you said, the book with the candles, the yeah, candles so versus matches. That's a big difference. When the fir- when I first read the book in, I want to say 1992. Before I went to watch the movie. And I can't remember if I read it in English or Spanish. But I have a feeling I read it in Spanish. Because it it came back that way. And I always thought of it as matches. You know, I always knew that it was matches. And it kind of goes along with um, with what I, with a, a lesson that John gives her in his laboratory. Uh, <laughs> where he describes how magnesium and you make the matches and all that stuff so for it to say candles I mean yes it's magical realism but who in their right mind would chew on candles that just seems like you would choke to death before you burn to death you'd really have to chew like the the match you could just swallow right but like a candle and then I was like well it is more phallic and like this book is really phallic like she's thinking about you know, Pedro's hot coal while she strokes the sausage at one point. So like this book isn't shy about the euphemisms, but I did really, because, okay, 
before I read this book, I had a friend in like, well, we met in eighth grade, but I, I don't remember what it was high school at some point. And she was in Spanish club and she was in Spanish. You know, she was super into learning Spanish. And I was like, I guess it's a class I'll take. But she had read this book and she was telling me about it at one point that it was so romantic and sad mm-hmm. at the end when Tita eats matches. But that's literally all she told me about this yeah. book. So I was like, this book is about a girl who eats matches. Like, I don't get it. Why would mm-hmm. I want to read a book? And then I read it years later, like in my 20s. And I was like, now I get it. And I, I obviously read it in English. And I was like, Oh, I guess maybe Virginia just remembered it wrong. And she eats candles, mm-hmm. even though that doesn't make as much sense. So yeah, no, I'm, it makes me wonder what else is in the original Spanish that, you know, like maybe little words, but maybe yeah. bigger things too. Because tell me, what's the word for match versus candle? They, they're different words, right? Cerillo is for, for a match and vela is for a candle. So I don't know how that mistake would be made unless, I mean, I think sometimes translators take artistic liberties because they think things don't always translate literally. So they think, oh, this makes it sound more. But in this case, it doesn't make any sense because the whole matches analogy is kind of central to the book. <laughs> you know, like yes. it's, it's pretty significant that they are matches. So yeah. So since I didn't touch on it in the recap, I'm going to say it now. and You can help me say it too. Um, Dr. John, and I, I just think it's so interesting that it's Dr. John who gives her this whole idea, by the uh-huh. way. Um, this, this man who loves her, but is obviously like an outsider. And he has this whole theory about how, and I think he I actually got him. it from his grandma. Oh, I love him too. He's, he's I love him. He's every- like, the, he's, he's just perfect. He's so wonderful. He's so and nice. Th- that that story of the matches comes from him it's just like oh i just think it must have also come from his grandmother yes absolutely okay so like okay so there's there's native blood in his family and he tells her the story about you know how everybody has matches inside them and when you have a, a spark something that excites you or, or fuels your passion like you know you you get flush with the passion of the of you know, whatever that is, a song or an activity or a love or whatever. And that's what keeps you alive. But you have to be careful because if you burn out all at once, like, you know, you burn out all at once, right? And if you never, if your matches get soggy, then you can't, you know, have any passion or life and then you'll die sad and alone. And I mean, I just, it's a really pretty metaphor. But he also tells her that you can dry out your matches so that they will light up again. Yes. And then also the reason, the reason that Pedro dies is because all of his matches light up when he finally gets to make love to Tita, not quietly not in secret and totally allowed you know like without guilt yes guilt-free sex is the best sex but (laughs) i i just like because when when dr john is telling her all of this and okay i had just watched that movie soul that came out in disney plus like last month and it has that same idea like there's like this spark like find your thing you know once you find your thing like and okay i have a a feeling because first of all I like the idea that we all can find things that make us happy, that excite our passions and like make life worth living. But mm-hmm. it's you have to be very careful. I think both this book and Soul actually did a good job of it without making it be like, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. You know what I mean? Or <laughs> yeah. like, it, we don't, we're not all have to be excellent at things. Like your passion right. could be just cooking for your family or loving your lover or being a parent or 
you know, there's no judgment. Yeah, there's no judgment on what lights your matches. You know, there's yes. no hierarchy of, oh, you know, you, you can light your matches if you're this brain surgeon, but you can't light a match if you like to play Operation. Right. <laughs> you, you know, like, whatever. There's room for all passions. All passions. And I love that. I love that. And when Dr. John is telling her this, he's very pointedly, like, acknowledging that he knows that she has this passionate, fiery love for Pedro. And that she's soggy right now because and yeah. he even has this whole thing about and they they, I, they took this part out i think in the movie but in the book he has a whole little part about how other people can come in and like blow out your light yeah. and like dampen your matches and he's totally talking about her mom yeah. and i thought that was so important I, i'm disappointed they didn't put that in the movie because mama elena she was a she was a match turner offer yes for sure. <laughs> she was a damp a damper yeah, <laughs> ah, yeah. a damper yes <laughs> definitely for him too, what was significant for Dr. John is that his matches were damp too until Tita came in because his wife had died and he had no interest in being with anybody. But he saw her at the ranch and had seen that she was growing into a lovely young woman and he was interested again. Like there was something happening in him that was like, oh, okay, maybe it's not over for me. And he really noticed her when she helped her sister give birth. Yes. And it was a complicated birthing, and Tita managed to do that. And so it's not even like he just saw her and was like, oh, she's a nubile young 16-year-old, blah, blah, blah. No, <laughs> it was like, wow, she was brave, and she did something, and she did good, and blah, blah. You know what I mean? Like, yes. Yeah. No, I he he admired he all of Tita. Her. Yeah, he yes, saw all her, of her. All of her. I don't think Pedro ever saw all of her, honestly. I, I'm not being subtle here. I have a hard here. time I, with, with Pedro because I get it. I get why Tita likes him. And in my heart, I, I want her to be with Pedro, but Pedro is weak. You know, he makes the weak choices time and time again. And, you know, this might be just me adding some of my own cultural issues onto it. But so I'm... I. I was born here in the United States. My mother is from Mexico. I want to say that Mexican women are very, very strong women because they have to be. And sometimes, not all, but Mexican men are not so strong, you know? And, and to me, that's, that's sort of Pedro's issue right there is that he, he weasels out of making the difficult choices. He thinks he's being romantic and making these choices. But like, at, there's one point where Tita says to him, I would have rather you kidnapped me, you know, or, or stolen me or taken me away. It wouldn't have really been kidnapping because yeah. she was going willingly. willingly. But, yeah. but when he, he throws it in her face that the reason he married Rosada was to be near her, but he's putting it all on, on Tita because then Tita has to be a part of, you know, making her sister miserable and making her sister's marriage fail. And it would be easy to hate Rosada, which I think the first time that I saw the movie or the first time that I read the book, I didn't like Rosada because how, how dare she say yes. But when, now that I'm older, I think about it and I go, you know, Tita couldn't say no to her mother. So what makes me think that Rosada was going to be able to say no to Mama Elena when Mama Elena said to Pedro, you can't have Tita, but here's this one, take her. Rosada didn't really have a say. She, she just really didn't. And also, no, she she couldn't say anything. And was there anybody else around? Like 
let's be honest here. Rosara was going to get married off to somebody, yes. right? Yes. And Pedro was at least, I don't know, let's say around her own age. Mm-hmm. Not bad to look at. No, he's very handsome in the movie. <laughs> he He at least was aware that women had feelings. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he wasn't, like, this horrible person. Like, no. Yes, Mama Elena could have very easily... So if I was Rosara, I would have said yes, too, because, oh, my God, right? Like, consider the alternatives. But so I, I, she is so tragic. Rosara is, to me, the most tragic of all the characters. Yeah, and I, I don't think I saw that in my first reading or my first viewing of the movie, and now I see it because... What did Rosada get? She got nothing. She got a life of dissatisfaction. And mm-hmm. part of why she said yes to the marriage, too, is I think, you know, women in Mexico at that time, it's during the revolution, and, and they didn't have very many rights. And it was a life of oppression. It was a life of living under your mother's thumb and then living under your husband's thumb. But still, when you were someone's wife, there was more freedom involved. It was like getting out of jail in a way, especially if your mom is Mama Elena. So I'm sure that she felt like, oh, you know, now I get to get out of this situation and I get to be the Mama Elena of my own home, which means I have control over certain things. But I mean, nothing worked out for her. The wedding sucked because everybody started puking. Oh my God. Her so husband. much puke all over her wedding dress. Yeah. Like the book goes into details about how she's trying to escape the flood of vomit <laughs> and then she misses and it's just everywhere. It reminds oh me God. of that scene. Of, do you remember? Did you see the movie um, Stand By Me? Yeah. Yes. River, River Phoenix. Phoenix. In it. Yeah. Well, there's this a scene in there where oh, they're at a pie hot. eating contest yes. and it turns into a bar for us. Oh. So this is sort of what happened, but just not blueberries. Yeah. But yeah, Rosada. And then he doesn't even consummate the marriage for like three months or something. And finally, it's her who says, yeah, I feel better now. I think we can get it on. And he's like, okay. That was the only time when I was kind of like, okay, Pedro's trying. Like he, you know, like he, cause he could have very easily been like, oh, sex is sex. I'm yeah. going to have sex with my wife. Like, you know, it was, it was legal. It was allowed. It was whatever. But the fact that he waited as long as he did, you know, was like, okay, I don't know what you're waiting for because obviously at some point you're, you're going to need to do this. To, yeah. And yeah, but but that was like, I was like, okay, so he had a little self-control, which I think is what makes me so much more disappointed to him later when he doesn't yeah. seem to, like, he gives in to his more base things and, and his jealousy. And, and I mean, I want to have a soft spot in my heart because I know... I do have a soft spot for him. I do. I can't help it. Like, he, I get it. I mean, he's not perfect and he's definitely doesn't make the best choices and he was just a dumb he was also super young like when you think about it like in the movie he doesn't I mean I guess he looks like an adult but they were young because when Tita was gonna marry Dr. John Brown she was only like 18 18. or something yeah you know so So the real the real problem here is freaking Pedro's dad Okay, can we just talk about this? Because he's like, I love this girl. His dad's like, okay, we'll go over and ask to get married. And they're like, no, no, this other girl. And Pedro's like, okay. And then they leave and the dad's like, what the hell, man? I thought you loved Tina. Like, you're so fickle. And Pedro's like, no, no, no. I got a plan. I'll be near the woman I love by marrying somebody else. And his dad goes, yeah, okay. And I'm like, no, dad, no. (laughs) This is when the father's supposed to 
step in and be like, dude, that's not a good idea. Like, you know, what are, yeah. what are your, what's your end game here? Like, I, mm, and I know that the patriarchy hurts men as well as women, yeah. um, for sure. And I, I so Peter's definitely a victim of this kind of ideal, you know, thing. And he hasn't, he, he's in this house. He's the man of the house without any power. No, right? he has not. Yeah. So there, there's definitely that aspect of it too, but man, man. And then when he, when he does like, Freaking jumper in the in the in the bathroom, yeah. the, the room where there's a bath, not like the it's, privy. It's but called the dark room. They the call dark it the room. dark room because uh, Mama Elena built it so she could have Tita bathe her there in total darkness. You know. Yes, <laughs> which which is funny considering the shower has slats in it that anybody can walk by yeah. and look into the. Even when they rebuilt the shower, they left the slats yeah. like the holes in there. Okay, fine, um, <laughs> sure. But yes, the dark room. So he jumps her, and I I mean, it's not obviously it's not assault. Tita was there for it, but yeah. also she's so young and impressionable i don't know like it just made me feel when they have sex later when she's older and she's chosen to be his mistress instead of getting married to john like for those years yeah. and, and I, i'm like yeah yeah i get that but i don't know the first time made me feel kind of squishy on the inside i was like i don't know it just felt like he was taking advantage and he wasn't there to make love to her because he loved her he was, he was jealous he was jealous and that's that's not why you want to take the virginity of you know i don't I don't know, like, grumble, I mean, grumble. <laughs> I mean, I think that when we look at it from our vantage points, from, you know, our sensibilities, yeah. But I think, like, you, I think Tita was there for it. I mean, oh, Tita yeah. was, had been having these sexual feelings for him for a very long time. When she, before she nursed his son or whatever, you know, it's more like the sight. To me, it was more like she, she never wore a bra. It said she never wore a bra. She just wore like a blouse over her shirt. So when she leaned forward, Pedro was able to see her breasts. Mm-hmm. And to me, it was more Pedro's sight of her breast that made her breast give milk mm. than the actual baby needing the milk. It was like this weird triangulation of how she kind of was the mother of that child. And he, he made this happen just with his sight, you know. I saw that movie various times when it first came out. I saw it on my on, with a friend, and then I took my mom to see it. And I thought, oh, my mom's going to love it, right? But my mom did not love it. She <laughs> thought it was terrible, <laughs> and um, which was really interesting, you know. And uh, I went with my mom and my aunt, I believe, and my aunt loved it, but my mom was like, no. First of all, you cannot... You cannot lactate if you haven't had a baby. And also Tita knits a blanket throughout the the whole book story because she's cold. You know, somebody, her matches are out. So she's always cold and she can never get warm. And by the end of it, the blanket is miles and miles long. So she she goes to Dr. John's house in the movie. You can see the blanket trailing behind them in the dust. Well, to me, that was a part of the humor of it. You know, it's funny, but my mom didn't think that was funny. She was like, that's just stupid. (laughs) And I think she was being like so literal with it. But what was weird was one of the things that spoke to me about the book immediately is something that related to my mom, which was when I was growing up, she would ask me to make her coffee or to make her some food or something. And if I was in a bad mood, she would say, no, 
don't you dare make it. If you make it, I'm not eating it. It will make me sick. Huh. She taught me and I, and I sort of absorbed that. I won't take things from people who are in a bad mood because I feel like the food or the drink or whatever they gave me is infused with their humor and it's going to make me sick or it's going to make me feel bad. So, and, and it's funny because I still say that to my daughters. I'll be like, make me a coffee. And if they help and puff, I'm like, forget it. I don't want your stinking coffee. It's going to be vile. You know, so I thought it was interesting that my mom could pass on these sort of like magical realism ideas to me. But then when she was confronted with them on screen, yeah, no, she thought it was absurd. And so I, we have talked about magical realism several times. And I want to just, for people who don't know, this is my little, what is magical realism? Magical realism is often used to describe the literary subgenre popularized by Latin American writers in the 1950s through their works of literature. And this genre varies on the content and style. There are some characteristics that appear over and over again. The story must be set in a realistic environment with magical elements. Part of the draw of magical realism that it blurs the line between realistic fiction and fantasy by adding in elements like the presence of dead characters or fluidity in time, etc. Or telepathy even. Unlike fantasy novels, authors of the magical realism genre deliberately withhold information about the magic in their created world in order to present the magical events as ordinary occurrences that are special that present the incredible as normal everyday life. Okay. I think that what sometimes is missed in that definition, mm -hmm. and I'm sorry for interrupting, no, no, go ahead. is that's the genre called magical realism, but that's life in many Mexican homes. I mean, there's dead people in my life. We'd be growing up and they'd be like, oh, did you feel your dead so-and-so? You know, and you'd be like, yeah, I did kind of feel their presence. And it, it's not, it's not like you're being superstitious or anything. You just feel the connection. Right. So I feel like they, they had to make up a name for it in literature so that people who don't live their lives this way can understand it. But there's, it's like what I said, like, I do believe that the, and I'm not crazy or, well, I'm a little, I mean, I'm medicated and all that stuff, but that's, you know, I take care of your mental health people. <laughs> I believe, you know, I don't want to eat food that someone with a stanky attitude made because I believe that we do infuse things with our energy. You know, I believe these things and I don't think it's weird. And I think a lot of people feel that way. They just don't write about it. I mean, I sort of like William Faulkner is kind of magical realism, you know, like they just don't call it that because he's a white man from the United States, mm -hmm. but he's got all kinds of dead people. Walking that, around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think it's interesting too, that um, the, the idea that this is a, a subgenre that came out of a, a culture. And like you said, it was colonized, named by people who are not in that culture as a way yeah. of trying to understand it or put it in a box or so that they could replicate it. Right. Yeah. And I will tell you, having read a few magical realism books in my day, I tend to not like magical realism unless it's actual Latin American magical realism. Yeah. Okay. I just read a book not too terribly long ago. And I actually, I don't, I don't know what the author's genetic makeup is. So I guess I can't speak, but it definitely didn't feel Latin American at all. It felt very Indo-European and it bugged the crap out of me so much. I couldn't finish it because it just, mm -hmm. 
it, it felt disingenuous in a way mm-hmm. that this book feels authentic. The magic yeah. doesn't... It's not heavy-handed. No. It's not like, oh, watch this, you know? And, like, a lot of it, even when Ma- Mama Elena reappears to Tita all those times, the way I see it is, like, you do keep having these conversations with dead people, you know? So maybe she didn't physically appear to her because Tita was the only one that could see her, but she was there. Mm-hmm. I mean, she she was saying these things from beyond the grave because that's how she wired Tita, you know? Like, it feels like, yeah, of course, she's going to hear her mother's voice saying those things to her. And of course, when Pedro is lit on fire, it's going to feel like it is a direct, the direct hand of her mother mm-hmm. doing this harm to him. Right. You know? And you and other people won't see it that way, but Tita knows. Yeah. Tita knows her mom did something, you know. For sure. You feel it. And I, I, I really like the idea of of the magic is is subtle, but it's always symbolic. It's not just like I've decided that I don't want to bother to light a match to light this candle. I'm going to clap my hands and light fire. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Or I'm lazy, so I'm going to use my telepathy to like do the dishes for me so I can sit over here with my feet up. No, it's everything no. that happens is is like an external expression of an internal drama. And so mm-hmm. it fits really well with the characters. And that's, I think, is what makes it feel so authentic and real, even though it's, you know, magic stuff, like, you know, mm-hmm. not lactating breasts and... um you know, getting... But, but apparently you can, because then Laura Esquivel wrote two more books that are kind of related to this. And in the other book that she wrote, it's called Mi Negro Pasado. They're retelling the story of Tita, because she's part of the family, the De La Garza story continues. And her, I think it's her great-great-granddaughter, her set did the research, and you can lactate with a lot of manipulation to your breasts, <laughs> even if you haven't. You know, so I wanted to call my mom and be like, do you remember 20 years ago when you said it wasn't possible? I've actually even heard of like men being able to, if, you know, the right (laughs) stimuli are applied and stuff. So, I mean, obviously, then there's things like the cloud of of rose smell wafting way over here and pull this revolutionary man. He came over here and and the passion of her steamy shower lit the thing on fire. And then I will tell you that I, I like I, okay, can we talk about Tita's other sister? Hertrudis. I I love her so much. I want a whole book about her. I was going to say, she should definitely get her own book. Like, she's just fantastic. She's the most in touch with her feelings, the most free. She has the happiest story in the book, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And even, and you know, she is a, a like someone who's fulfilled and feels good and feels no shame. Like she works in a brothel. You don't see her come back and be embarrassed that she worked in a brothel. She felt like because she had eaten that dish with the rose petals that were infused with her sister's horny blood, that she had to work in a brothel to like finally get rid of that fire in her loins that kept burning. She had a, she needed all those men. You know, they were doing a service for her, for her as opposed to the other way around. So and then she ends up with the guy who who had quote unquote stolen her away in the first place yes. with her happy, and she gets to be a general in the in the military, and she's bossing guys around. And I just she's amazing. And, okay, so here, this is interesting. In the movie, I think they drew a little bit more attention to it earlier on, but then they kind of dropped the end of it. So in the, in the book, what we have is that she is not, well, Mama Elena cheated. 
basically, Antita's and Rosaura's father. And so she's a half sister. A half sister. Of, of, of Tita and Rosaura. And her her father, Mama Elena's mm-hmm. secret lover, was they call him mulatto in the book, which is not a word we use today, I don't think, anymore. Yeah. So that happens. And then the finding out of that is what made Tita's father die when Tita was a little kid. And, you know, and that was Mama Elena's she had a heart attack. That, that was what, one part when my daughter, my youngest daughter, who's about to be 10, we were watching and the, the father had a heart attack when he found out. And that part, she was like, oh, come on, that's ridiculous. <laughs> she wasn't into that. But I think it was done sort of more caricature like in the movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I imagined it when I read it and I was like well honey it's a, it's possible you know you get strong feelings of emotion when someone tells you something but yeah yeah no <laughs> so okay so that's Mama Elena's great tragedy sad thing is that she couldn't actually be with the man that she loved but she did have a child with this man blah 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 we don't get that she treated the three girls any differently Tita was obviously always going to be the the servant child but yeah. okay Okay, this half the half sister her her through this her her, through this her through this goes off. She has her best life. She ends up having a child, and the child comes out not really looking like her through this or her husband. And her husband's all mad. The child looks black. You know, he thinks she's cheating. And then Tita has to be like, no, no, actually, here's this like family secret that I've been holding on to, and yada yada yada, which they did not touch in the movie. They did have the little bit of that racism thing of like, no wonder she can dance so well. She's half black, Which, which really bugged me. Yeah, but that's in the that's in the book too, and and I have to say, like the racism was much more in the book. There was more of those comments in the book than in the movie. It's cringy, and even but I don't know. Like I I I like Laura Skibin's book. I like it very much. But the the I have to say that her handling of that particular topic, there are some things that were cringy to me. But then now that you put it, I'm like, well, it's actually the character saying that, Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. that makes more sense, right? Because they would have they would have they would have said it in the time. What I think is interesting, like we've said, Hertuidus has the best story. She's got the happiest ending, and she was the product of breaking marital bonds yeah. and like a love that dare not so, speak its name yeah. against society. Norms, and yeah. so there was a part of me that was like, are we are we saying, are we making a point like that maybe, you know, <laughs> Because I, I feel like there's a lot of issues with tradition in this book, but I feel like... No, I, I think she was definitely making a point about that, that these um, these are the things that are, are, are keeping... I think it's a very female-centric book, and the, the women are being kept down by this. I also think it is a commentary on colonialism, mm-hmm. because the father... Her through this is dad. His name is Jose Trevino. His father was Mexican. His mother was a slave in the... No, I don't like to use the word slave, was enslaved in the United States and came to Mexico. And that's how that happened. And then I think there's also commentary on colonialism when you look at Dr. John Brown's grandmother. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She was not white. She was, what did they say? She was from the Kikapu tribe. Mm-hmm. And they treated her like she was less than. But then it turns out that his scientific leanings came from her kind of knowledge of herbology and all these things that she could do. And also they treated her 
really bad until she managed to cure somebody. And then they were kind of like, oh. Oh, yeah, we get it. Oh, we can use you. So I definitely think that her thesis is a vehicle to show that times were changing, but the only way that her through this could get any freedom was to join the revolutionary movement because she, if she just went off and married some other dude, it wouldn't have been the life that she led. She wouldn't have had that kind of freedom, you know? Well, and thankfully she was also able to be like, Hey, if you don't want to have a baby, here's how to avoid getting pregnant because you know, Tita and Pedro, a lot of sex happening and Tita doesn't get pregnant, you know? So I'm glad somebody was there to tell her that because that would have been a whole other thing. Yeah. Yeah, Gertrudis really should get her own book. She's pretty awesome. Yeah, for sure. So we're talking about gender. And in a lot of literature, we have that, um, the Madonna horror dichotomy. Yeah. And I thought it was really interesting because Tita is both. She has the virginal breasts who can give milk. She literally makes food for the family. She's the one who, you know, cooks and cleans and is like that kind of thing. But at the same time, she's also the one who's the mistress of her sister's husband. And I, I freaking like that. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that we're not saying, no, if you're one, you can't be the other. And then you have her sister, Rosario, who... Rosaura. Thank you. Rosaura, who is like technically the, the mother, the matriarch. She has a child. She has the husband, but she's rotting from the inside. She's miserable. She can't... Uh, I mean, and I'm not saying that these are things women should be be able to do, but in the book, it it definitely is significant that she can't cook, she can't breastfeed, she can't even digest food without, like, farting up a storm that (laughs) makes everybody feel miserable. Like, she is just, she's not complete, you know what I mean? Like, there's nothing that gives her, where are her matches? Yeah. She hasn't sparked one single match. Like, I don't even see that with her kids like she doesn't even well and how tragic that her first son dies like she's unable to get feed him and i know and i know you probably know this too as a mother like feeding your kid when when they're babies is like first of all one of the hardest things no matter if you've got all the working equipment it's still hard right and it like and then you've got oh, to keep track of how much they've eaten and when was the last time they eaten. And then you're looking at their poop and like you're, okay, are you getting a balanced diet once they start eating things mm-hmm. that aren't breast milk or formula or whatever way you decide to do? I tell you what, feeding my child was like the bane of my existence until she got to be seven and started being able to make her own toast, right? Like it's just yeah. so much and it never ends. And it's, but it's like this thing. And if you can't instantly latch on and breastfeed in the hospital right away, mm-hmm. there is significant guilt. Oh, you feel awful. And it makes it harder for you to be mm-hmm. able to, to lactate because you're feeling all this guilt. And, and I remember I, with my first child, I had a really hard time. It was very hard for me. And I had been very medicated because of complications. And I think that delayed my breast milk coming in. And so then you're like nursing and then pumping. And then, and then I remember one time while I was pumping, I was on the phone with a friend. And when I looked down, there was so much milk because it was the first time ever that I was relaxed, oh. you know? And so oh, wow. I think of like, Rosada never had a chance with no. any of it. Like she had a traumatic birth. They kind of don't get that deep into it. But part of why Dr. Brown is so impressed is because Rosada could have died. It was very touch and go and not the kind of birth that a novice, partera, midwife or whatever would be able to, to handle. And yet somehow Tita did it. But 
it's like the the three little bears right <laughs> like so her through this is just the happiest one rosaura is like the saddest one and tita's somewhere in between for sure she has her, she has her moments of happiness you know but like tita's lucky because she had nacha who loved her like a mom in a way that her mom couldn't love her and then later she had chencha who was also her friend and confidant and stuff but who did rosaura have like no one not even her sisters because I feel like she couldn't connect with them that well you know like she was jealous of Tita and she wasn't that bonded to her through these or at least I didn't get that sense no and as the oldest she knew she was going to get married first and like that was her responsibility and all of that stuff I just it's it's really sad and then you you know and the the idea that she's then okay well I'm going to keep this tradition where my daughter's going to stay with me on the one hand that's a horrible tradition on the other hand I I, I can understand why she would say that because her husband doesn't love her. Her sister doesn't like her. Like, so there's this, this thing where she's just going to cling to this yeah. child. Like if I can make you love me and you won't abandon me and I, you know, then. But I don't even know if it's about love. Cause I don't think for Mama Elena, it was about love. Oh, no. I, so, I sort of feel, and I'm certainly not a therapist or a psychiatrist or anything along those lines, but it's part of the cycle of abuse, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it just keeps getting perpetuated. Like somewhere along the line, it was started. And even though some people can see it's wrong, then the next generation does it anyway. Like that's why Tita gets so mad. After you've seen what I have gone through, how could you possibly expect your daughter Esperanza to have to live like this too? You know, like she's so upset. And and um, even if, even if it, continued and Esperanza wasn't allowed to get married and let's just pretend for a second that Rosara had like lived much longer the family would die like you have to have kids getting married like oh there's no more kids right Mm -hmm. so that's the end so this this tradition actually dooms the family to end like it would end all the family lines unless this tradition goes away which is kind of an interesting thing too you know we have to change tradition like sometimes it's okay to question wait a minute, why are we doing this again? And does it really serving its purpose? It might have served a purpose. Yeah. But now, definitely not. But I wondered if she had decided to let it go and let Esperanza go, if she wouldn't have rotted from the inside. Probably. You know, if she, if she could I have mean, she was, changed. She, was, she yeah. couldn't, she was sick and she couldn't let go of any of the sickness. She wasn't going to change, you know? And they made, <laughs> it was funny because whenever she would eat, Tita's cooking, she would get fat. I don't know if you remember that. And so then she went off to live in the United States. She lost all this weight because she wasn't eating Tita's food. And then she came back and uh, she started getting fat again from eating Tita's food. But fat in a way that no one else was getting from eating Tita's food. And, and, And then when Pedro was burnt, she was very humiliated because Tita was holding his hand after the burn and Rosara went to Pedro and Pedro said to Tita, no, don't leave me. Don't let go of my hand. So Rosara locked herself in her bedroom for like a week and wouldn't come out and lost all this weight. And then after that, she refused to ever eat any of Tita's food. I believe is what Mm -hmm. happened Mm -hmm. if I'm remembering correctly. But yeah, it's, it's interesting because there's the, the whole like a food, the way that Tita nourishes her family and the way that she she passes on these things, it's it's not just 
you know how I said like, well, if you're in a bad mood, then it's gonna, gonna make the person you give it to sick. I think it's also about the receiver because it didn't matter what Rosada ate the tita made. It was gonna make her sick, mm-hmm. you know, because she was at odds with her sister and like her, she couldn't win. She married her sister's one true love, you know? Well, it's even like Mama Elena didn't trust the food and so basically poisoned herself. Yeah. You know? And so like, I feel like, okay, people can give you their negative, whatever, but like what you do with it or your own perception of reality definitely clouds that too. So if you decide that what you've been given is bad for you, it's going to be bad for you in that way. Does that make sense? And so I, it does that self-fulfilling prophecy. And I don't think that, I mean, I, and they weren't able to break free of those bonds. That was, it was definitely apparent. Tita was thankfully, but but by dying, can we just say that it's, I mean, I, I understand, I think that for the genre and the trope, it, it makes sense that they, they die. They don't have their happy ending, but I wanted a happy ending. <laughs> I know. I, I sort of feel like the movie almost gave me a happier ending than the book did, because at least in the movie, you saw the, their nude silhouettes meeting up at the end <laughs> of the tunnel, tunnel, right? Yeah. But I was kind of mad at the book. I felt like, uh, again, I just didn't remember how incredibly sad it is from the very be- beginning. Like, it is just sad. It's like sadness after sadness after sadness. Enough already. Can Tita at least get a week of lovemaking before she dies? Like, no, one, one. Loud. Like, it was exhausting. And yes, I think this was probably a better ending than the one that I would have wanted with them to grow old and have kids and but maybe it wasn't. Maybe Lara should have made it like a choose your own adventure. <laughs> the one that satisfied you the most because it's heartbreaking. And I did want Tita to have kids. I feel like if she could have had a child with Pedro, I don't know, it almost would have made it all worth it, you know, but. Oh, well, okay. And so as I was reading it, because it started off with like my great aunt Tita. So I'm like the whole time, I'm like, this is not Tita's daughter. This is not Tita's daughter. Yeah. It feels like it's Tita's daughter, but it's not Tita's daughter. Whose daughter is it? You know, and um, I was like trying to figure out the whole time and then we get to the end and I was like okay I liked the way that the movie did the ending where she looks at the camera and she's talking and then like the ghosts are behind her and I was like oh that's beautiful and it makes it all connected we're all here in the kitchen together and it's like loving and sweet and stuff and that was a much better end visual to me that was beautiful I'm so mad that freaking Pedro died the first time too I was like man he he owes her way more orgasms than just the one (laughs) for sure Poor Tita. <laughs> grumble, grumble. Yeah, it was. And, and then you thought like, because in the movie, you see him at the party at the, it's Esperanza's wedding. And Esperanza end up, ends up marrying Alex, which is Dr. John's son. You see him and he's so happy because he's finally going to get to be with Tita because Rosada's dead. And like the kids are going to move on yeah. and like now and it's now, their time. Yeah, like and they're going to be living out the ranch. There's one character in the movie. I can't remember the character's name, but she is sort of like that. She makes all these side comments. Oh my God, I love that woman. And she wasn't in the book, but I thought she was just such a wonderful addition in the movie because she made all this commentary and like she went up to Tita at the end and was like, well, Tita, you're not going to be able to keep living here now that blah, blah, blah is gone and blah, blah, blah. And then she was like the Greek chorus in the movie version. Like she was giving all these like social like mores and the judgments and the side things in a very like Mexican indirecta sort of way where like 
you're insulting someone, but it's indirect. So mm-hmm. you, the person receiving the insult can't really accuse you of insulting them. Mm-hmm. Like at one point, uh, that same character asked Tita, oh, one day you'll have to give me the recipe for these. Mm-hmm. And Tita says, the secret is that they have to be made with lots of love. And then there's like a slight pause and she says, I hope someday you'll be able to make them. <laughs> and, you know, it's such a burn, but it, it's perfect. She she is great. She's um she's in the book a couple times, but she, not at the end. Yeah, she's because she's the one who's like, isn't she the one who's like, if I didn't know Vinny better, if I didn't know you were such a good girl, I yes, would think you're pregnant. That's yeah. the one. But they they fleshed her out a little bit. I, I don't I don't. Oh, know. That, I'm trying the to find her. The actress who played but... her is phenomenal. Like she just, if you watch her in the background in the scenes, it's just, she's brilliant. I really liked that this is such a feminist novel in in kind of a subversive way. Because, you know, even though it is this uh, romantic love and like basically all that Tita wants to do is like be with the man that she loves. And we don't always think of those as feminist ideals because we're wrong, because they are, because feminism means you get to choose. And if you want to just stay at home and be married and have kids and you should get to do that. But anyways, people don't always think of this as a feminist novel, but I like that it is. In in this book, there's no good or bad women because women are able to be, they're more, they can be complex, they can be contradictory, they can be... One woman can be good and bad. Yes, you know, warmth and and passion and like, but also obedience, like, like obedience is negative kind of in this book, like the one, you know, you don't want to have to obey the bad, I I just, I really, I really liked it. And women choosing their own paths, you know, eventually, even if they have to be patient, even if, even if I have to tell you, I really wanted her to marry John and just move away. And I not... did too. I mean, I did too. And I, I forgot when I was rereading the book, I forgot how they did it. They make it seem at the beginning of the last chapter, you know, you're at a wedding, but you don't know whose wedding you're at. So it could possibly be Tita's wedding to John. They stretch it out in the book for yeah. several, but you're like, wait a minute, who's getting married in the book, in the movie? Because like it, it jumps 20 years. It's 1934. Yeah. Now the outfits are different. They can't stretch it as long. And yeah. it's pretty clear. But even then they linger on the back of the bride and you're like, that's not Tita's back. And then you yeah. see it's somebody else and you're like, okay, but yeah, no, they stretched it out in the book. And so I ha- kept having this, like, I don't think that's how it's going to end, but is that's going to, how it's going to end. Is that what's happening? Is that's what happening? And then nope. Nope. And she could, and the thing about it is, like, I think even Tita knows she could have married John, and she could have had a nice life. It would have been a happy life, and I, and I think she knew that she felt secure and safe with him. But that's not what she wanted. <laughs> you know, she wanted the passion yeah. that she had for for Pedro, and she wasn't going to get that from John. He was it's just. It's not often that you're rooting for the mistress to be a mistress and not be <laughs> a wife because she wasn't really a mistress you know it was Mm -hmm. almost like I mean she's definitely a mistress in the definition of what mistress is but it's Rosaura who screwed that that up but she did because she had to so it's just it just it's complicated you know it it just goes to show like okay from my seat here in 2021 and knowing families and and watching how the idea of family has evolved and people make and have different families there's this part of me that's like they could have just been a family. Like they could have just been like Pedro and, and Tito are together. And, but then they like the three of them co-parent the Esperanza. You know what I mean? Like if somebody could have just gotten over her bitterness, Rosario, and like 
you know, been able to accept what you have instead of like pining for what you couldn't like there, it could have been. I do uh, feel like though, and maybe that's something that didn't translate. I feel like in the book, Tita was happy for quite a few years with her illicit love with Pedro and that Rosada was fine with it. I got the sense that they all sat down and had a conversation and Rosada was like, go at it as often as you want. Just, I don't want to hear it. And I don't want anybody else to know about it. Well, see, because I think that it was like, you can continue to be together because I can't stop you, but you have to be incredibly secret and I'm going to be in charge and I'm going to be in charge of this of the daughter of Esperanza yes. and you're going to have no right, you know, da, da 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 And so I didn't feel like they were like very happy. They were in the shadows. That's why it was such a big deal that now they were free. And that's why all the matches could get lit because it's, it's freedom sex, you know? Well, it was out in the open. Instead yeah. of, but I mean, out but, in the open with nobody around as opposed to being like in yeah. the shadows with lots of people around. So like, I don't know. I, I definitely got the feeling that it was still like, there was still guilt, you know, around it. And this was their first guilt free experience of lovemaking, which is a very different thing. And so, so I don't think you can be really happy truly happy if you're guilty and, and no, skulking no. in the shadows so yeah i mean i guess there was a, definitely an understanding but i don't see it as being yeah 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 i mean i i think i mean more like she wasn't miserable okay <laughs> you know what i mean like well she, there's the bar <laughs> yeah well yeah. you know you, you gotta think about like she no longer has mama elena like barking orders at her mm-hmm. she's sure. getting to be around esperanza which whom she truly truly loves she loves that girl and she's still even though she's not responsible for her upbringing and stuff you're still like sort of this little bird in her ear putting different thoughts into her head that than her mother would yeah there was definitely a lot of uh love making in the shadows going on <laughs> maybe they just hadn't had a chance to do it on a bed in 22 years so you know yeah. that can make a big difference too <laughs> Claudia, was this book worth your time? Was this movie worth your time? Would you recommend it to a friend? Yes, the book was worth my time. It was worth my time twice over because I've read it more than once. And the movie as well. I would say definitely read the book and then watch the movie. I feel like having read the book first helped me fill in some gaps for my family as they were watching because the movie did do a wonderful job. But there's still some things that you would have missed had you not read the book. Yeah, I would recommend it to friends. I would recommend it to family. Read it. Watch it. They're going to make it into a play, a musical. Yes, yes. I can't believe that just came to my brain. So, yes, which I kind of don't know if I want it to be a musical. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I do. I love musicals. So I I am here for that. Yes. Okay, well, let's see. It says, like, Water for Chocolate Musical and Development. And that article came is a deadline article and it came out on October 1st, 2020. So, you know, we're still living that pandemic life. So who knows when it'll happen, (laughs) but that makes me excited that it will introduce the whole new generations to that. I I love the book. I think it does a great job of being entertaining, being kind of telenovela-esque, like you were saying, while still having a lot of realism, it's, put in a historical context of what was going on in Mexico. And it makes you realize how far we've actually come of women being able to choose what kind of life they want to lead. 
because it wasn't that long ago when if your mom said you were staying home and taking care of her until she died, then that's what you were going to do. You know, I agree wholeheartedly read this book. I highly recommend this book. Replace the word candles with matches when you're <laughs> reading it. And I, I also recommend the movie. I, I think they work together well. Totally watch it in Spanish with the subtitles if you don't speak Spanish, but don't, don't listen. It, it's just weird. The, the dubbing was strange. And, um, if you are interested, I thought this was kind of cool. So I don't, have you ever heard of the movie Simply Irresistible? No, only the song is coming into my head. No. Right? <laughs> so it's a Sarah Michelle Geller movie about a, sh- a chef who oh, yes, yes. cooks and then all whatever she's feeling in the food, it makes everybody who eats it feel the same See? thing. I think it's a thing. I don't think it's just yeah. something in a Mexican or Latin American culture. I think it's a thing. We infuse yeah. food with our being. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, I just, we, we recently in my book club, we had a month where like it was because of the pandemic and it's hard to read all the same book because libraries, blah, blah, blah. It was like we had a theme and the theme was food books. And so my like list was like, like water for chocolate and um, chocolate and pomegranate soup, you know, and it's basically the same kind of ideas where there's, a, there's a, the recipes or there's something and it's going along and it's telling the story and the food is interwoven. And I don't think we've touched on it, but I just want to say that there are actual recipes in the book. Yes. Not just for food, but also like instructions on how to make lip balm. Yeah. And I mean, and matches. And it's really cool. Now, I don't like cooking. I don't like, I don't like cooking. There's nothing else to say about it. I don't like cooking, but I like reading about other people cooking because it tells a story and it's interesting, even if my eyes kind of glaze a little bit when I'm like, and then you do what to the what? I don't know. So yes, totally worth your time. Highly recommend the book. I highly recommend the movie. I will also say that it was nice, that closing scene in the movie where you talked about like her having her ancestors behind her and everything. Esperanza. No, it wasn't Esperanza. It was Esperanza's daughter. Because she said, you know, Tita will always be alive as long as people are cooking her recipes. And I grew up again, I was expected to learn how to cook. And so I rebelled against that. I didn't want to learn how to cook because then that would mean I would get stuck cooking for everybody. But what happened is that apparently I learned how to make certain things without even wanting to learn them like my grandmother was really good at making soups she made the most phenomenal soups and she didn't even have to try they were just delicious well somehow I've inherited her ability to make soup and I mean I make really good soups she used to make albondigas and she never specifically taught me how to make albondigas but every time that I make them which is like a Mexican meatball soup it tastes like my grandmother's and I channel my grandmother, which I didn't necessarily have the best, easiest relationship with, but I swear to God, it's like she comes to me in a bowl of soup, and then I understand that every time she was serving me that soup, that was love in a bowl, you know? So there's something to be said about passing on these family recipes to the next generation. It is like your your, um, ancestors are feeding you still. And and cooking with your kids is such a delightfully messy, fun thing, yeah. you know. And it's 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 definitely a mark. I, I've been able to watch my daughter's growth and development as you know. First, she can make toast. <laughs> then it was like, then she can put butter on toast. You know, then she can put you know. Well, she likes to put ketchup and mustard on toast with the like salami and make a sandwich. 
Sure. Um, you know, that's a breakfast, I guess. And then just recently she learned how to make scrambled eggs. And then now now it's omelets and she can yes. make waffles. And so she's like learning all these things. And as, as it expands and more and more, it's like a sign of how she's growing up and changing. And, yeah. And, and it's also you know, like you were talking about how you're, you as a parent, you're so obsessed with what your child is eating at the beginning. You you have to be on top of it. It's like, are they getting enough nutrition? And then when they you introduce the the solid foods and and so for myself, I I got it now why my mom and my grandmothers and my aunts were always trying to feed me even when I wasn't hungry. And you know, where you're like, God, all they want to do is like shove food in my mouth. And now when I serve my kids food and my kids are ridiculously picky eaters. When they like something that I made, oh my God, it is like the biggest accomplishment of my life. You know, I feel like there should be a marching band. <laughs> like, okay, my daughter, she'll give me a thumbs up every now and then. I get two thumbs up one day. One day, I got two thumbs and a toe. What? And I was like, Oh my God, I, I am making this every week. It yes. was like, you know, one of my many crock pot things because I don't like to cook, but yeah, I got a toe. Yeah. I was, yeah, it made me so happy. Yeah, and even <laughs> for someone who like, I can cook. I will cook because I have to uh, and because I have to, but I'm not like Tita. Like I don't sit there and think like, oh, this is the most magnificent thing I could be doing with, no, I'm going to buy the lip balm from some small <laughs> business that made it. You know, I'm not going to be toasting no cocoa nuts and you know, like, that's not going to happen. It's not my jam. And my husband, he, he is more like Tita. He cooks and when he cooks, it's like a work of art and it's all, and for me, it's like, no, 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 no. I have these things in my arsenal. I will make those things. They taste good. I enjoy them, but I don't think about cooking on my free time, you know, whereas right. he'll watch the cooking shows and like formulate oh. these ideas and stuff. That is not I have job. friends like that. My dad's a chef. And so, you know, he's just, he's just amazing. And he's got all these skills and whatever, but he explained it to me once. He's like, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's people who like, live to eat yes and you know live to cook and live to eat and live for food and then there's other people who just eat so they don't die and i personally am an eat so that i don't die kind of person i don't you oh, know well. and it's hard to cook when you're when you don't i don't care. know because i'm a live to eat kind of person <laughs> but i still don't live to cook you know what i mean i like being right. fed and i think part of it is because <laughs> that's how i was shown love as a child so if mm -hmm. you feed me you must love me. You know, like if you spent an hour in the kitchen cooking for me, you love me. Thank you. I will gladly eat it. But I I'm going to show you my love by doing the dishes or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Love language, food or not food. Exactly. Yes. Food, food purchased or food made. Either way, does it whatever. Yeah. It's fine. It's food, you know, it's fine. Anyways, Claudia, it was such a joy to talk to you. And Likewise. this was so much fun. I'm so glad we got a chance to do this. And um, tell everybody your, your social media handle again. Okay, so you I have a blog and you can find it at byclaudia.com. Remember, it's B-Y-C-L-A-U-D-Y-A.com. Or you can find me at byclaudia again. 
B-Y-C-L-A-U-D-Y-A on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook or Clubhouse, whatever. (laughs) Clubhouse, that's a new one for me. Okay, yes, and I will link to all of those in our show notes, our show notes, as well as other information about the show. You can find at kmmamedia.com. Just click on the Pages and Popcorn podcast tab right there and listen from your browser. Of course, you're welcome to listen on Spotify and Stitcher and Apple Podcasts and Google Play and pod rabbit and pirate pocket and all those other random places where you get your podcasts so enjoy and thank you again this was super fun this was lovely when it's live tell me so i can share it and i i really enjoyed the conversation and i enjoyed rereading the book too Alrighty, well, thank you. I enjoyed that very much. This was fun. I will let you know, and it's probably on the 15th. I'll promote it a little bit before because, okay. you know, romance and yes. So yeah, it's actually perfect for Valentine's Day. It's like it's I thought a of it. tragic love story. I know, exactly. Find someone who lights your matches but then doesn't die immediately. <laughs> That's the key.